All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. And today we have Michael McClure. Mike McClure, am I, am I pronouncing that correctly? Am I getting this right? I'm very paranoid about names. You got, you got it just fine, yeah. Okay, excellent. So, so thank you so much for being on the show. Where I love that you have gray in your beard, uh, as I also do. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not one of those guys that's dying the beard yet, are you? I have contemplated. Oh no, that that will never happen. No, I, you got to embrace the gray. I mean, every one of those gray hairs stands for something. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it's it stands for um, uh, a knowledge, uh, character. Let's see, uh, what else? What else can we say? Uh, um, battles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Battles survive. Yeah, just, <laughs> that you're you're just out there doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, you you got it. Now I like that you've got a background picture too. Of, of snow in the background. Um, and I'm sure you have, and I can say this because I have a beard, you have a beard. I'm sure you have some pictures somewhere uh, down the line in the, his, in the history of, of the world of ice being frozen to your beard, or I'm sure you know what it's like to have snow frozen to your beard. Oh, yes. Yeah, when we would head up to Crater Lake and uh, go snowshoeing and so forth, uh, uh, or every once in a while, Get, get the opportunity of some friends of ours would go uh, snowmobiling and invite us along. And yeah, it's inevitable that you can't have all that cold and moisture without getting something encrusted on the beard there. I love that you just said snowmobile. I haven't had the snowmobile conversation yet on the show. This is an IT show, everyone, ah. by the way. Just so everyone knows out there, this <laughs> is a technology show. And um, But believe it or not, um, People that are in IT and technology have lives outside of the server room where people slip. Uh, we do indeed. Door. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one of those lives is riding a snowmobile. And I'm one of the most fond memories I have, and I just replaced the, the, the battery on my snowmobile the other day, is a like 300-mile snowmobile trip with my, with my best friend growing up in like sixth grade. You know, we started out in, in like southern Maine, drove all the way up to the Canadian border, and in Maine, they've got wow. you know, tons of snowmobile trails. It's like I-81. And there's two yeah. snowmobiles on the right and two snowmobiles <laughs> on the left. You know, and the trails are everywhere. Um, but, you know, it's uh, snowmobiling can be, it's like, it's almost like RVing. It's like another part of the world. It's another world that, that they haven't made a reality show out of yet. That's true enough. And, you know, there's just, yeah, it takes you down pathways you don't get to see any other way. It's just I give fun. you a different perspective on the, yeah. the world around you and everything. And, you know, you have all the noise and all the motion, but then you stop. Mm -hmm. And you're just in the middle, especially in, in the snow in the winter. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, you know, be zooming through the trails, through the trees, and then you pop out into a clearing or maybe like a frozen lake or something like that with nobody around. Mm -hmm. No sounds of industry or traffic or anything. It's just uh, you in the moment out there. It's really, yeah, it's really wonderful. You get, you get, it's great because you get, um, exhaust fumes, you get the, the motor <laughs> piece and then you get the nature at the same time. And then if you're with, yep. if, if you're with a bunch of crazy people, um, and there's some open water and ice at the same time, then you get people like, <laughs> can we make it over the open water? Uh, so. Oh with, yeah. With well, that I being just, said. I just came back, uh. Go. I just came back from uh, doing a polar plunge on Saturday for Special Olympics. Uh, ran into the Willamette River in Eugene, Oregon. That was invigorating. <laughs> we have a lot in common. I've always wanted to do that. And I have, um, I, I do a lot of surfing and there's like a winter surfing, 
there's a lot of guys that do winter surfing. And I saw like one of the guys that owned the shirt, the surf shop up in, up in Maine where I pretty much spend thousands of dollars each year with him. Very, very willingly. Um, you know, he goes, he's, I ask him like, you know, even on the good surfing days, like, why aren't you out there? He's like, I can't, I gotta be, you know, I gotta open the shop. It's in, you know, summertime. He's like, I do most of my surfing in the wintertime because just not everyone's willing to go out when the, it's seven. Yeah, you get, get some of the best waves then put on a dry suit and just get out there. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even put on a dry suit. He puts on like a five mil, like a 5.4 mil with booties oh, really? and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing, he's with seven below zero and the water is like 34 degrees. And Ugh. he's out there and, you know, I guess if it's a five or a six mil wetsuit, I guess it's still, it's still good enough. He keeps, I, I just haven't yeah, it'll do it myself to that. So, so now that, now that we've gotten that stuff out of the way, you, talk to my tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you've been at the same company for 24 years in six months and it's, yeah. you're not the first person that I've talked to that's been at a company for that many years. And it's always fun to talk with someone that's been at the same company for that many years. Number one, I want to know why. Um, number two, how did you get through the ups and downs and the mistakes over the years? But in the meantime, let's go back to um, September of 1995. Um, what did the network or network specialist see? You have network specialist 1996. What was so yeah. special about the network back in 1995? <laughs> well, it was just brand new. And yeah, if I could go back just a, a year from that, I had uh, stumbled into the business of IT support in that I was hired at the college in my first full-time role as a registration specialist. I was intaking you know, student paperwork and so forth, but it happened to be the same year that the college's uh, internal Cat5 network came online and uh, I started being interested in it, I had this Gateway 286 in front of me, and it was suddenly nice. connected to something. And so I started fixing things. And it, you know, they, our computer services department was going out and putting out fires. And after a little while, they realized that one of the largest buildings on campus, they weren't getting calls from. So who was to be my boss, uh, yeah. made a call over there and said, how are things working so well there? And they said, oh, Mike's been fixing everything. That's and cool. so he poached me. Yeah, he poached me into the, the department as a programmer aide, which I failed miserably at. Uh, I don't like programming. But luckily, he Good. also threw me in front of... And I don't like programmers. Oh. I'm joking. And I don't like programmers either. So it's like, you know. Anyways, keep going. So so anyways, you don't like programming, but... Um, and just to... Yeah, I just don't do well with it. I don't like staring at pages worth of code, looking for a misplaced semicolon, that kind of thing. But he put me in front of their first two servers that the college had bought, a couple of big blocky HP servers, and let me loose on them. And from then on, I've just marched my way through the uh, different job stratifications in answer to network specialist. Uh, network specialist was just created as kind of the gunslinger who goes out to mm -hmm. all of our different sites and mm -hmm. diagnoses problems, uh, 
uh, deploys the equipment. We were pulling our own Cat 5, terminating our own Cat 5. So you were the jack of all trades Mm. if it had to do with network communications. If it plugged into the network, you dealt with it. Everything from the computers to the servers to old tut repeaters and different things. Yeah, we had all kinds of. I'm, I'm very intrigued. You don't still have the Gateway 286, do you? Yeah. <laughs> well, that that belonged to the registration <laughs> services area, so no, I never saw that one again. <laughs> was um, it a net? I, no one ever talks about bringing a Cat Five network online. That shows you how old it was. <laughs> like we brought a Cat yeah. Five network online. What? It doesn't even. It doesn't even. Yeah. Doesn't even tell me no, that makes sense. Would you have a network card in the two eighty six? Yeah, we were adding in the network cards. We had to buy them separately and add them in. Uh, because before that, we had a, a VAX VMS system connected to Amber terminals, you know, dumb terminals. And that was our network up to that point. So mm. we worked through the transition from that VAX into a Fox Pro database on the HP server and all of that. And yeah, mm. we were just pulling building to building. I was the guy crawling under the buildings or up in the attics. And we just did it. That's actually a lot of fun. That's actually a fun job when you think about it. It can be. Because it was new. Because <laughs> things were new back then. It was I, the wild, wild west. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to boarding school um, for three years. And I remember my friend Andrew Paul, who was always talking about being a Navy SEAL. It was back when like the movie Navy SEALs came out. And we always thought. Oh, we, Yeah. You know, we mm-hmm. thought we were like, you know, we ordered Soldier of Fortune and, and we, we took like Kenpo <laughs> Karate and, and, you know, all this stuff back in the day. And he was always talking about, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And we all kind of laughed. He actually became a Navy SEAL, by the way. Um, became, Good for him. Yeah, became a real life, like Navy SEAL. But our rooms were right next to each other. And I had a Gateway 386. So when you say 286, Ooh. that's like, yeah. You know, he had a 486, which I was like, man. I was like jealous. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember him being like, you know, let's buy you a network card and we'll drill a hole in the wall and run a cord through. And I was like, well, what's a network card? Like, like what are we going to do? <laughs> because back then you used a computer for what? Word processing, um, your, you know, science, maybe something with chemistry, micro pipetting, lab work, and a, a very simple yeah. spreadsheet. That's it. That's what you used a computer for. Word processing. <laughs> Some DOS-based turn-by-turn game or something. You're playing video games and have to go Your Oregon Trail fired up, yeah. Yeah, I have to auto-exec bat and move some memory around to make it load, you know, something crazy. Which no no millennials know. So here's the deep question. Here's the deep question. How does one who has not been at a company for 24 years and six months understand the vastness of how young the internet is or... I'm just, it's got to be, it's got to be amazing now to, to grow up in a, in, a, in a society where it's just there. The internet's just there. Um, we, you didn't grow up in it. You didn't understand any of the stuff that we kind of went through. So I wonder if it's hard for um, young millennials, uh, because my wife, who was born in 1981, is, I guess, technically considered, considered a millennial. But um, for the real young millennials or whatever the next generation is, Y, Z generation, how do they do you think there's going to be a technology gap or a hard learning thing? Is that going to be a, is that going to be a problem? Well, I think the, the challenging thing we are seeing because, you know, we see the millennials come through here, come through the college mm-hmm. and everything comes down to 
uh, you know, people have the full embracing of what um, Apple put out for years in let's create something that's so very simple. It's a highly technically advanced device, Mm -hmm. but for the user interface, we're going to make it as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. And millennials have gotten to a point in general where they don't want to know what the behind the scenes is. They don't want to know the mechanism. They want it to work. They want it to work now. If it's not easy enough, how do you make it easier for me? Because that's the environment I grew up in is everybody trying to bring me the easiest technology and that's what I'm going to buy. So that's the challenge that we find is getting millennials to want to dig into the minutia, you know, get into the why. Um, And it's, it's hard, you know, that's, you know, what's easy is hard. What's that? What's easy is hard. What's easy is hard. Yes. Yeah. Very mm. true. So, I mean, yeah, just finding people who want to fill the skills gap for, uh, you know, network administration, network security and, and things like that mm-hmm. uh, is challenging for us. Oh, here's a question I haven't asked for someone that's been at a company for a long time. Uh, what year, uh, what year did paranoia set in? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, like, really, um, like, at what point were you like, like, crap, we need to worry about, like, these people that, that are called hackers, or they made the movie, like, Hacker, or whatever it was, you know, like, whatever these Right, were. yeah. You know, yeah, at it was what all point did paranoia, like, oh, they were going after. Yeah, what year did well, paranoia I mean, yeah, set in? See the, what year? Well, they, uh, for us, I mean, because, yeah, the hackers from a, a conceptual standpoint, oh, they're going after the corporations, oh, they're going after this. Mm-hmm. You know, we are in a space that we don't have to worry. Uh, I would say it was the time frame that mm, the I Love You virus came out. Um, <laughs> it was, wasn't too long ago. <laughs> it was one that, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that that was really the time frame where, it really popped up on the radar of the, the mid-size business, mid-size higher ed and K-12 and, and uh, local government and state government. All of mm-hmm. us mid-size players finally had something that was so tasty that people couldn't help but click on it. And our AV engines weren't ready for it. And it, it actually really popped propagated and caused the first problem. And then after that, you know, the level of awareness just shot through the roof. And as mm. the years progress, we've seen it get worse and worse. But I would say that would be the the, the milestone for us in, in my sphere and, and the people that I talk to is when I Love You hit. Um, I don't know what you remember. Like, do you remember that affecting like, like you personally or anyone personally? Do you remember having to deal with that just out of curiosity? I'm Google. I'm going to like to. I'm going to uh, Google school yeah. right now <laughs> to find out uh, what you. Yeah, to, to, to dig into that sucker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the, the the trick with that one, and and I can it's probably say the this because yeah. the, just so you know, yeah, was, there we go. I, I thought it was. I actually didn't think it was that long ago, but wow. Okay, so 2000. Yeah. Time flies, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, Y2K, that, that was our Y2K. Wow. Um, but I would, yeah. I would say, you know, I can say this now because the people involved have, have long since retired out 
of <laughs> our college here. I'm not trying to like, yeah, um, I'm not trying but, to, uh, un- well, how do we say this? Um, uh, I can't think of the word off the top of my head, but go ahead. Well, I don't want to, yeah, throwing somebody under the bus. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could call well, that. I, I, I disparage. Say, maybe I, I disparage say, is a better word. You know, disparage yeah. somebody or well, I mean, this is. I, old I can crap. say that a yeah a a top level executive within our our uh, organization was the one who triggered it, and then who was basically the predecessor before my predecessor made the mistake of then speaking on the news and admitting which executive that was <laughs> on the news, on local news. And so it's like the, our IT group just did a, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so that's shown a very bright light on IT as a, um, as a center from which the bad things were not being stopped. So uh, we, there was a lot of backpedaling and there was a lot of uh, research, reinforcement, uh, reevaluation of the security structure we were currently using, um, the implementation of a more layered approach came in at that time. So, I mean, it triggered a lot of good things and there was no real damage done other than loss of productivity from the virus itself. Um, we recovered you know, with it, we were down for a good part of a day. Mm. Um, and, and so, I mean, it, it didn't impact us that adversely, but it was a very public recognition of what our security stance was uh, within it. So All it gave us a lot of fuel, you know, for the security <laughs> boss would laugh at me for not knowing this. You're like, what are you talking about? It was, uh, whoever this guy, Rionel Ramones, and, you know, it was part of his senior <laughs> and this is why he, you know, perpetrated this, and, you know what I mean, like, but, um, but that's, that's, it's just an interesting question, when did paranoia set in, so for, it was the I Love You virus in, in 2000, before yep. that, before then, it was just, uh, IT was still just a cool job where we were a bunch of geeks playing around with uh, computers and making stuff work and making everyone's life easier. Um, now it's much more complicated yeah. than that. It's, uh, it's just, um, would you say that IT has gotten more fun or more stressful or both? Well, I don't think it can, if, if you're doing it right, there is going to be an owned amount of stress. <laughs> mm. I think uh, you can't, if, you know, because security is something, IT security, just like regular security, it's something you do, it's not something that's done. So, I mean, there's always going to be something on the horizon. There's always going to be some focus and some, you know, you're going to be reevaluating your weak points and recognizing that, you know, we've gone past an era of, you know, uh, you know, are 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 we going to get hit? It's more like when we get hit, mm-hmm. how fast can we recover? I mean, yeah. that's that's where we're at. It's not the if now wins. The if now wins. You know, it's it's now. It's it's we focus on now and what we are going to be able to do to keep our business functions going. So with that comes a certain amount of stress, but um the challenge of it, it has to be one you embrace. I mean, because if you can embrace the challenge of it, there is where you find your fun. And just being able to, you know, talk dynamically to, to other peers 
within your your IT, your internal structure, your local and community structure, and you know beyond, and you know going to to IT security conferences and so forth, and mm-hmm. just continuing to learn and and look at different angles and hear different uh, viewpoints from other people in your field on how to tackle things and, and how to deal with the day-to-day. And still, uh, for me, you know, having a life outside it, like we, we started the conversation with, is an important factor in not having your brain explode. You, you got to have other things you can focus on uh, to, to keep you going. Because if you bury yourself in the fear, then, yeah, it'll eventually defeat you. Gotcha. Um, how do you, do you think, do you think IT leaders, security leaders have a heart? Well, I doubt security guys high up, but do you think there's some misset expectations in that security realm? Uh, when you say you've got to embrace the challenge, right? Uh, we need to be setting the right expectations with executive management, et cetera. What, where's the cutoff? Where's the cutoff of Hey, we got hacked. It's 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 going to happen. To I guess let's flip the let's flip the script here a little bit and say how does I'm curious how do you think executive management and leadership of companies and in the public space and and everything how do you think they even know how to evaluate whether their security guys know what he's doing. Well, I mean that that is the the onus there is on your security person, yeah, whoever whoever is representing IT security, speaking to exec level, um, administrative level personnel. You have to be able uh, to break things down in a way that makes sense to them from whatever whatever if they're in the the business function if they're in the executive function whatever their function is you have to be able to look at you know you have your own information that you can just spew a bunch of terms that they don't understand mm-hmm. and a bunch of statistics that are just going to bring fear and mm-hmm. all of these different variables that they're going to, they're going to reel away from, they're, they're not going to want, they're, they're going to say, no, I don't want to hear that. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have to be able to streamline and customize that message in a way that makes sense, not only from an IT security uh, model, but from a, uh, a business function model that, you know, is that, uh, you know, it, it increases business. It, it makes things safer. It, it, it will increase productivity and uh, consumer confidence and, and things like that. And you just have to tweak it a little bit. Uh, and talking to different people within my organization and, and my community and so forth, you know, there, there are several different ways that I approach talking to them about the same subject. And it's just knowing knowing your audience and speaking to them with respect from the area that they learned in and that they are operating in. In other words, understand have as many that, conversations yeah. uh, as often as possible with oh yes with uh, with with a little bit of with a little bit of details and paranoia, um, <laughs> but yeah, just, um, just enough. Just, 
<laughs> flavor it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's excellent. So uh, maybe just give me one of those. Um, I don't know. What's, what would you say your, is your best piece of advice for having those conversations for anyone that's, I don't know. I think one of the common themes is uh, a lot of times there's a disconnect between IT and executive management. People get stuck in a cost center. Uh, people get stuck trying to ask for money for an initiative that they need for an upgrade or something like that. Maybe what's your philosophy around uh, gaining executive buy-in? Um, reading the audience, uh, if I'm talking to one person or if I'm talking to the, the board or I'm talking to a smaller group or whatever it may be, um, being able to read the audience and adjust pitch when I start to see eyes glazing over mm-hmm. or I start, start to see people, you know, they obviously start tuning out at a certain point if it's not going in a direction that's viable to them. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, be able to quickly do a little mental reset, have some backup, uh, just just things you can throw out to them in that conversation that will re-engage them. Mm, gotcha. And uh, I've heard from a lot of other, uh, just when it comes to, I guess, asking for money or for some initiative that you need, maybe, maybe it's a security thing. And obviously it costs money. It does. It uh, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't necessarily yeah. need to be a cost center a little bit harder in the, in the public space where you guys have strict budgets and you're not actually always looking at maybe, you know, it as a revenue generator. It might be it as a, you know, keeping the shop running type of thing. Uh, but yeah, one keeping of the, the doors open. I mean, yeah. We have, you know, we are at least at that point, uh, whereas before we were easily pushed aside, but in the last few years, there is an overall recognition that with so much of what we do being either in local databases or in the cloud, that keeping this functional, you know, keeping IT functional and keeping things secure keeps our doors open. Uh, yeah, so and with so many applications, there's just so many applications now. Yeah. So many ways for kids to learn. There's, I mean, I mean, you're a college, right? There's got to be so many applications and so many moving parts that uh, there's got to be a, a thousand ways that you make people's lives easier, faster, better, easier, faster, better. Yeah, and we have we have more and more students and more and more instructors who never set foot on one of our campus locations. They're, exactly. they're going straight to our through our distance learning portal, straight to the cloud, and getting degrees. And you know, in the case of the faculty, getting paychecks without you know they they don't care about the history. They they care about how can I more easily get into this portal while I'm at the same time saying how can I make sure this portal is secure for them <laughs> without ridiculous yeah without ridiculous latency and, and all kinds of other factors that, that come into come into play um, uh, this has been uh, a great uh, an outstanding conversation what's um well, last thing um, team how big's your team I have uh, four network administrators uh, under me Mm-hmm. And then I have a uh, partner IT director who has a, a network and administrator that we work hand in hand with. And how many how many end users and, and moving parts and people and, and kind of endpoints that you guys, I mean, that, that 
essentially and six, that's, seven that's people a more right uh, that's a more and more challenging question to answer because uh, looking from like a database perspective there's uh-huh. there's maybe uh, 1400 staff accounts but a lot of them are part-time faculty and a chunk of those part-time faculty the only use they have with us is to log on to our secure portal and then log on to our learning management system in the cloud. Uh, so, I mean, we have anywhere from four to 6,000 students oh per uh, term or semester. Uh, a big chunk of them are in the cloud. Uh, so, mm. yeah, we're representing quite a lot of people, but we, you know, the numbers decrease when you talk about seated classes and so forth and you know full-time employees we have about 250 um, well i think part of the i don't know if we want to call it a revolution maybe maybe an awakening maybe we should call this an, an awakening i like to refer to revolution as well but that can be i don't know how i don't know if i'm i don't know if revolution is the right word maybe it's awakening but the it mm-hmm. director the person in charge of technology quite often is tasked with a ridiculous amount of different silos and, and, and less silos than more <laughs> silos, less silos than more silos. If you're, if you're good at your job and yeah. the ratio of individual person helping an end user or endpoint is like, is at a bare minimum one to a hundred. So that's like going into oh, your, yeah. your freshman year, um, you know, biology class with, you know, 200 students in the room and one, and one professor up front. And can he really possibly care to know um, all of his students? <laughs> a student gets lost. Like, yeah. A student gets lost. Uh, but the, yeah. the consequences could be catastrophic from a technology standpoint and depending on, you know, what the business is. And, all of that is kind of riding on on the tech on the shoulder of technology, and I don't know if the IT director in eighty percent of all the organizations in the face of this earth right now is getting the the due respect um, that they deserve and or the support that they deserve based on the amount of responsibility. Oh yes, I mean it's it's just a reality. I mean, we I have a a list of our areas of operation within our department, and we're not even front of house. So there is a separate IT director who runs our help desk and distance learning. I'm IT network and cloud connection and our our server farm and and different things like that. But myself and my admins all have at least three major areas of responsibility uh, within those areas. Uh, and, you know, we try and backfill each other on them. But, you know, easily any one of those areas of operation would be one person's full-time job. And there's just no way. So we all just yeah. spread it out and try and backfill with each other. I, I consider myself lucky in that within my structure, I have three site administrators. And then I have a special projects administrator mm-hmm. who spends time with each of the three site administrators and spends time with me. Mm-hmm. And so he's that, that conduit for keeping uh, each other up to speed on, on different uh, pain points that we're having, different focuses we need. And so I've, I've found that very beneficial. I could, of course, use more people, but that's uh, not going to happen. So we, we make 
Make do with what we have. Uh, have you ever done anything real ninja that uh, just made life so much better? Was there was there any upgrade or anything that you did or something that you fell upon? You know, you never know. I might uncover some crazy golden nugget. Um. Well, I mean, just the the big push that I've had as we've grown is making sure that our our WAN and internet infrastructure keeps pace because mm-hmm. I talk to so many of my colleagues who end up with these these choke points, especially as they grow their cloud infrastructure and so forth. Mm-hmm. So for for me, a, a source of pride is that you know we just went through a major overhaul, and I was able to push through to get us upgraded uh, 10 gig site to site. Uh, we're finalizing a spin up of SD-WAN with three separate gig, gig uh, internet connections in two different counties. And uh, just having that SD-WAN infrastructure to have that failover and fail back and load balancing and everything to make sure everybody can see that nothing is wrong from a communication standpoint, that it's business as usual, that they don't see those ch- choke points. Yeah. They would never go. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. SD-WAN is huge. And it's, and it's we, load balancing is putting it lightly. It, it really is. Cause it's not, yeah. I mean, it's not really load balancing. It's, it's, um, it's bandwidth aggregation because you're using right. multiple circuits at one time. We're not really kind of like failing back and forth and flip-flopping, which can create so many issues like it did in the past and, and, and complex BGP network schemes and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But it, then just application stacking too. I don't know if you're using some of the benefits of SD-WAN and application stacking and prioritization of applications. Yes, so yes. Like shutting are. down YouTube mm-hmm. when uh, one circuit goes down or the network gets congested, we're just going to, you know, not allow people to watch YouTube or whatever it is, you know, that right. might not be appropriate for an educational uh, um, institute. But. Yeah, it's tricky what we can and cannot filter or block or or what have you, but we can give priority uh, based on application. And we run into the challenge that a lot of organizations do as far as so many things being encapsulated into HTTPS. So, you know, it makes it a little harder to aggregate, but um, we are using some of that functionality and and do see the benefit. Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, Thank you so much for being on. Glad to.